I know a couple of people were watching me to see how demonstrative I'd be. I found the the Hollander in me, the sitting on the hands, resisted all the way. Inside, I was clapping and praising everything, <laughs> even though I didn't look like it. Our and this is this is why because you know those of us who are more reserved. We have the fear that if we ever opened up, we couldn't stop ourselves. So it's fitting that our new sermon series is about biblical meltdowns. Yeah, that kind of meltdowns. And, you know, I, I call it biblical meltdowns. It's biblical because our examples are going to be from the Bible. But there's another word, another way we use the word biblical in that's of epic proportions. And so the, the uh, meltdown or meltdowns we're going to look out today uh, are biblical in both senses. And we're looking at Moses, the one whom God selected to lead the Israelites out of slavery and into the promised land, and who is the example for our journey out of slavery to sin and into the promised land of new life in Christ. And the model for the journey of the civil rights movement as Dr. King portrayed it as well. Uh, sometimes when you're preaching, uh, or if you've observed preachers, it's amazing what they can get from one or two words of scripture. And uh, it always amazes me how much is packed in there. Today I'm going to try to cover chapters 19 through 40 of Exodus. That's 23 pages in your pew Bible. How long do you think that's going to take? Well, I'm going to skip a lot. But I, I want you to get the, the whole feeling of what's happening here. We're going to begin in Exodus chapter 19 and verse 1. On the third new moon, after the Israelites had gone out of the land of Egypt, three months after the Exodus, on that very day, they came into the wilderness of Sinai. Now, there's a lot of debate about where Sinai is. There are actually at least two, maybe three possible sites. So that's not clear. But it was not particularly a well-known mountain. It's where God chose to reveal himself. They journeyed from Rephidim, entered the wilderness of Sinai, and camped in the wilderness. Israel camped there in front of the mountain. Now here's a key verse. Then Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him from the mountain, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the Israelites. Notice the words. Then Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him from the mountain. I, I think uh, you've heard me discuss before the names of God and the significance of them, but this is a dramatic use of that. Uh, Moses went up to God, that's the word Elohim, which is the generic word for God in uh, all the Semitic languages, and it covers the great God of the universe, the unknown God, the God, 
all the gods of Egypt are described with the same word and the pagan gods. But Yahweh is the second, the word that's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. In our Bible is always a translation of the Hebrew word Yahweh, a personal name for God. When Moses was called by God, he said, well, Lord, whom shall I say sent me? The people won't listen. Tell them that Yahweh sent you. I am. And that is in the third person becomes Yahweh in the Hebrew. So this is a name, a covenant name of God. So it's as if God was saying, as if this verse says, Moses went up to meet God in a generic sense, but it was Yahweh who spoke to him. It was God in a personal expression just for the people of Israel. And this is the one true God. He is Elohim, but he's Elohim in a recognizable form. We're going to find out how important that is. Verse 4. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you obey my voice, keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession out of all the peoples. Indeed, the whole earth is mine, but you shall be for me a priestly kingdom and a holy nation. As if God is saying, yes, the whole earth is mine as Elohim, but you have a special relationship to me as Yahweh, a priestly kingdom, a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the Israelites. Verse 7. So Moses went up, summoned the elders of the people, and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. The people answered as one, Everything the Lord has spoken, we will do. Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud in order that the people may hear when I speak with you so trust you ever after. There's a lot of mystery here. God is going to come in a cloud to make it memorable. Does he appear? At what point do they see God or what do they see? It, it purposely left vague, I believe. When Moses had told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and prepare for the third day, because on the third day the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. There's a there's a wow to this. I mean, something's happening on that mountain. It looks like it's going to explode. And here is Moses calling to the people and saying, this is the time the Lord has established. He's going to reveal things to us in uh, the next uh, few verses. Uh, there's a preparation on God's part for the people to meet him. Now, verse 16. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning as well as a thick cloud on the mountain and a blast of a trumpet so loud that all the people who were in the camp trembled. Whoa, where's that trumpet? It must be Brad. Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. They took their stand at the foot of the mountain now all of the Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord, this is now Lord, L-O-R-D, Yahweh, because Yahweh had descended upon it in fire. The smoke went up like the smoke of a kiln 
while the whole mountain shook violently. As the blast of the trumpet grew louder and louder, all four brass players were at it here. Now Moses would speak and God would answer him in thunder. Wow. Answer in thunder. When the Lord descended upon Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, how do we know he descended? What did they see? Uh, to the, the Lord summoned Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. Whoa. What a vision. It's just like, what, what did they think was going on? They were in awe, of course. And when Moses went up the mountain, we're not told exactly what he experienced at this point, but at this, God gave the Ten Commandments and the tablets on which the Ten Commandments were uh, written. And he, God said, there shouldn't be any idols anymore and sacrifices should be made to me. Then skip over to chapter 20, verse 18. When all the people witnessed the thunder, the lightning, the sound of the trumpet, the mountain smoking, they were afraid and trembled and stood at a distance. I would be at a great distance. And they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Later on, ironically, they wanted to be sure that God would go with them, but don't get too close. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid, for God has come only to test you and to put the fear of him upon you so that you do not sin. And the people stood at a distance while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. And then in the next few chapters, we're going to skip, but the other laws were given by God to Moses. We're not, it's not made clear uh, how that, that, that uh, information was transferred, but uh, in addition to the Ten Commandments, there were laws regarding uh, possessing slaves, about uh, killing and violence, property laws, other civil laws. And it's interesting that uh, God was giving civil as well as religious laws because they were going to form a new society in the promised land. Now skip down to uh, chapter 24, verse 15. Then Moses went up the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. On the seventh day, he called up to Moses out of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord, again, L-O-R-D, capitalized, it's Yahweh, was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the Israelites. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. Moses was on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. Wow. What was happening? God was giving him all sorts of instructions about how to worship him in the promised land, about various offerings, about the Ark of the Covenant, about the tabernacle, which later would become the temple, altars, and all of this was laid out. So in other words, it's God establishing the details of the, of the contract between him and the people. Now, here's, we're getting to the meltdown, okay? Chapter 32. When the people saw that Moses delayed, I mean, it was 40 days and 40 nights, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people
people gathered around Aaron and said to him, Come, make gods for us, Elohim gods, who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. He's gone into the mountain. He's probably dead by now. Aaron said to them, Take off the gold rings that are on the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took these from them and formed them in a mold and cast an image of a calf, a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, Elohim, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation that said, Tomorrow shall be a festival to the Lord, Yahweh. And they rose early the next day and offered burnt offering and brought sacrifices of well-being. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to revel. We have a picture of that. Oh, some artist uh, created this. It says they brought sacrifices of well-being that is, uh, positive sacrifices. It was all too cloudy and dark. So they brought this, and then they sat down, they ate and drank, and they rose up to revel. Now, what is reveling? Well, it's, it's, it's R-rated. So, this is the first meltdown that we're looking at. The meltdown of the people. The people's meltdown was totally against the grain of what was happening on that mountain. Yahweh establishing a personal relationship with the people he called through Moses. And that meltdown uh, led to a whole series of things. In, in Exodus 32, verse 7, the Lord said to Moses, Go down at once, your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, your people. See that? Um, have acted perversely. They've been quick to turn aside. That describes them. Some of us, maybe. From the way I commanded them, they have cast for themselves the image of a calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it. Said, these are your gods, O Israel, God's Elohim, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. The Lord, Yahweh, said to Moses, I have seen this people, how stiff-necked they are. Now let me alone so that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them and you and I make a great nation. Well, the people had a meltdown. So God had a meltdown. Now I want to talk about this a little bit. This presentation of Yahweh to Moses on the mountain is so dramatic and so overwhelming that we forget that this is a God presenting himself as reachable, as relatable, as someone that wants to connect with humans. The, the Whatever the real essence of God is, who we could not ever understand or comprehend, they're not ready for this. Yahweh is a relatable version of God. And Yahweh 
is presented in anthropomorphic terms. He has thoughts, he has anger, he, has, he changes his mind, as we'll see down below. It's, it's kind of embarrassingly anthropomorphic. And God is presented as um, uh, kind of uh, holding a grudge and also. All of that is not the way God really is, but it's the way people have to, have to understand through their own experience. In a sense, God, God's meltdown here says something about his identification with our humanity. Because he has wrath. He knows what our wrath is like. He knows what our hurts are like. He knows all of the feelings that we have. So this radical anthropomorphism is a, a way of our, under, the children of Israel at that point, understanding God. We're going to go on, zoom a little more, in chapter 32, verse 11. Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out of to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath. Change your mind. That's what Moses is saying to Yahweh. Change your mind and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, how you swore to them by your own self, saying to them, I will multiply your descendants like the stars of heaven, and all the land that I have promised I will give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord changed his mind about the disaster that he planned to bring on his people. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain, carrying the two tablets of covenant in his hand, tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and back. The tablets were the work of God. The writings were the writing of God, engraved on the tablets, the Ten Commandments. And here he is coming down from the mountain with the Ten Commandments. Verse 19. As soon as he came near the camp, he saw the calf, and the dancing. And Moses' anger burned hot, and he threw the tablets from his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made, burned it with fire, ground it to powder, scattered it on the water, and made the Israelites drink it. Talk about a meltdown. The people's meltdown and God's meltdown are matched by Moses' meltdown. So everything has melted down. How can we redeem this? Who's going to make the difference? And really interesting that Moses is the one presented as the difference maker. And I want you to notice this in Exodus 32. When Moses saw that the people were out of control. That's what a meltdown is. It's when you're out of control. For Aaron had lost control of them, prompting derision among their enemies. Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on Yahweh's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around. He said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Put your sword on your side, each of you. Go back and forth from gate to gate throughout the camp, and each one of you, whoops, kill your brother, your friend, and your neighbor. 
The sons of Levi did as Moses commanded, and about 3,000 of the people fell on that day. Moses said today, said, Today you have been ordained for the service of Yahweh, each one at the cost of a son or a brother, and so have brought a blessing on yourselves this day. That is so awesome, overwhelming, offensive. All to teach us our relationship to God. All to teach us that God must be taken seriously. And here we have the people's meltdown and God's meltdown, matched by Moses' meltdown, and uh, now, Moses' meltdown becomes a way to redeem the situation. Moses mediates after God's meltdown, and he gives he, he argues for more time to deal with things. But then, after that, he controls his own meltdown, and then he is used by God to intercede for the others who are having a meltdown. In verse uh, 33, 12, Moses said to the Lord, See, you have said to me, Bring up this people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor in my sight. Now if I had found favor in your sight, please show me your ways so that I may know you and find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nature is your people. And so, after Moses had destroyed the tablets, and this mediation happens, and this intercession happens, then Moses makes new tablets, and God writes the Ten Commandments on the new tablets. The second chance, the second chance is part of the human meltdown experience. And this covenant that God makes with the people in chapter 34 is their second chance. And he sets up this promised relationship and they are given a way of life, the tabernacle, the, the priesthood, the sacrifices, in which they can maintain that relationship. And then in verse chapter 40, the cloud covered the tent of meeting. Chapter 40, verse 34, the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled upon it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Whenever the cloud was taken up, the Israelites would send out and so forth. Well, looking around to see if there's anyone about to have a meltdown. Okay. Meltdowns are inevitable in our lives. They are. You know, some of them have, some of us have them more quietly and we're able to keep the public from seeing them. But we all have meltdowns. We all fall apart. Sometimes it's because of circumstances. Sometimes it's just something 
that happens inside of us and we can't explain. When you melt down, learn lessons from Moses' meltdown. When you melt down, realize that God gives you a second chance and third chance and fourth chance. And you have to accept the fact that your meltdown may trigger the meltdown of others, as we see in this case. But every time you melt down and recover, you're better able to help others in their meltdowns. And when you control yourself and you mediate between people having meltdowns and you intercede for others' meltdowns, you can become an agent of peace and grace and love and renewal. So your meltdowns, they're finite. They, don't, they may seem infinite, but they're not. They're finite, and, and they equip you for what God has called you to do. This is spiritual leadership. Moses was chosen by God because he was the greatest. He was the biggest. He was the strongest. No. He tells us he had, he had a speech impediment. Some think it was stuttering, and others think it was another kind. But he was not a natural. Speaking was hard for him. At one point, Moses is called the meekest of all human beings. So he was not a self-confident guy out there. He was a guy who allowed God to use him and when confronted by the opportunity to be of service said yes. And he didn't let his own weaknesses stand in the way of that. There's one point at which in his, uh, in his mediation with the people and between the people and God, he says to God, God, please forgive these people, but if you can't blot my name out of the book of life, I, I would give myself for them. And that, 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 that humility was part of his nature, but it was used of God. So be open to whatever meltdowns. And by the way, go back and read these chapters. It'll renew your appreciation for the God of the universe. When we sing our songs about how good a friend he is and everything, realize that that friendship is won by Christ and by his inter, inter, His mediation for us on the cross. Because we cannot confront the God of the universe. We say, Moses, you go up in the cloud and do it. Fortunately, Jesus came down through the clouds and he went back up through the clouds. But we're here, fumbling around on earth. We're here still trying to make, make it through life and, and there are people around us who seem so perfect and we seem so imperfect. And we had another meltdown yesterday and we said harsh words to someone we love. God will use that meltdown today, right now, as he used Moses. Thank you, Lord, for this promise. Thank you for reminding us of how human we are and, and how limited we are and how willing you are 
to embrace us anyway. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.